Are you into all things musical theater and cabaret? We've got a music issue for you, chock full of everything from classics to Americana. Romano Danilo and Chris Ranney play in the pit for the Broadway smash, Come From Away. Only in this show, the pit is right where all the action is. They talk about the musician's role in this unique show. Deborah Grace Weiner has dedicated her career to curating the American Songbook. After working for years as the head of lyrics and lyricists, she has struck out on her own to continue bringing recognition and remembrance to musical theater's finest writers. Bill Solly may be the most prolific, undervalued gem of a writer in Manhattan. A listener suggested I talk to this man who pioneered writing gay-themed theater before it was mainstream and popular. We talk about his groundbreaking shows like The Great American Backstage Musical and Boy Meets Boy and Hopes of a Major Revival. Finally, Isaac Sutton is a tireless cabaret artist playing the likes of Las Vegas, New York, and Israel. He talks about bringing his art craft all over the world and the logistics of making it all happen. That's what we have set for Volume 813, February 21st, 2018. All that, right after this. I am your host, Michael Gilbo, and this is Broadway Bullet, Volume 813. A little reminder out there, we're we're a social program and this is free, so we really count on you guys helping spread the news. So subscribe to us for free in iTunes or your favorite podcast aggregator. Tell your friends. If you're listening to this in SoundClack, subscribe and click like. All those things help spread the word. So in the meantime, we hope you enjoy the episode that I put together for you this week. Here you go. All right, if you are a playwright or a composer lyricist in New York, I just want to let everybody know that I'm getting ready, prepping to go back to New York for another round of interviews beginning of May. And we're looking to add some more original content. So we're going to do two showcase nights at the Dramatist Guild Foundation that we're going to videotape and audiotape for this program. We're going to do a monologue night from playwrights. That is going to be Friday night on May 11th. And we're going to do a song night from composer lyricists and that is going to be sunday may 6th so if you'd like to uh, be a part of this uh we do need you to find your own performers and if you're not accompanying yourself your own accompaniment uh but we're going to focus and push and promote these all uh main thing we ask is that they be unreleased at the point that we put them up after that you can do whatever you want so uh new discovery so just give me a buzz at broadwaybulletnyc at gmail.com if you are interested in taking part. Uh, we're also looking for somebody to help kind of organize and um, 
put those things together since I'm here in Montana. So, uh, all right, let me know. And on to this program. Special thanks to our location sponsor. Riders need a full community of support in order to do their important work. That's where DGF steps in. The Dramatist Guild Foundation is a national charity that fuels the future of American theater by supporting playwrights, composers, lyricists, and book writers at all stages of their careers. They do this by sponsoring educational programs, providing emergency aid to writers in need, and offering a free rehearsal space where I've recorded this episode. For any questions about how DGF might be able to help you, please visit dgf.org. Special thanks to our travel sponsor. I'd like to thank uh, my school, the University of Providence. They are our travel sponsor. They pay for me to get there, as well as a student to come help out and meet all these people and stay there. And this is all because it relates to the program that I created. It's the School of Theater and Business Arts. You learn the art of being an artist and the business of being an artist. Because it is important, if you hear anything in this show, it's that these artists have to treat themselves as an entrepreneurial business. And you learn how to do that, as well as your art, at the University of Providence. Check us out. There's a link at broadwaybullet.com. And uh, if you are a senior or junior, come on out and visit us. We'd love to see you. Up close. I have been wanting to interview uh, a pit musician or two for a long time. I think they have a really interesting life that a lot of people in theater don't really hear about or know about. Um, and I finally have gotten the chance. I really pushed hard because I figured that come from away, the pit, it's not even fair to call it a pit. They're part of the cast in come from away. And we were lucky enough that two of the musicians jumped to come in and share their wealth of information with you. We've got Romano Danilo and Chris Ranny here from us. Do you want to introduce yourself so people know whose voice yeah, is whose? Yeah, I'm Chris. Uh, <laughs> and I'm Romano. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so come from away. Yeah. Um, I guess we've we got a lot to talk about and we'll get more, but what, what is your experience with being involved in the band in, in Come From Away? What do you guys do? Tell us a little bit about the, the band experience. Um, well, I'm the... Uh, this is Chris. I'm the associate conductor for the show, which means that I'll conduct the show anywhere from one to eight times a week, depending on what we need. And, you know, that involves, I play the accordion and the, the keyboard and an instrument called the harmonium up on stage. And, you know, it's responsible for keeping the, the show running smoothly. So, Thank you, Romano. Yeah. And I am uh, one of the musicians. I play Baron, uh, basically the percussion book, Baron, Djembe, Shakers, Udu. Um, and the ugly stick, which is uh, the personal ugly favorite. Stick? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a six-year degree to get that one. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask if you got hit yeah. by the ugly stick a few times. I've but been hit. Usually my own foot. Uh, there's a boot at the end of it. it I've stomped my own foot, but uh, <laughs> that's about it. So now, what other? You guys have both been playing in uh, pits for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, what what shows have you guys done? I think there's one that people know. Yeah. <laughs> We've well, both been on. Be. This is how we met. I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah. It's a good story. Uh, six, five or six years ago, something like that. We had met in uh, Detroit. Um, I was going through as the the drummer for Wicked and the tour, Nash, second national tour. Um, and Ranny was one of the locals, so we yeah. met there. Yeah. At first, 
Yeah. And then you contacted Back me when day. I got the gig. You're like, yeah. man, you're gonna love this gig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's very different than Wicked. Yeah, it's very, but, very you know. Yeah, well, we've enjoyed that, and I, I, like I said, I was playing a bunch of shows in in Seattle before I got this gig. So, I, with uh, Fifth Avenue at the Fifth Avenue Theater, yeah, and um, and other you know smaller theaters around the area. I came from well from Newfoundland originally, but I spent ten years in Toronto, um, not doing much music theater, but mostly um, classical music, uh, Canadian Opera Company, and Toronto Symphony, and Kitchener Waterloo Symphony. Gamelon, things like that. So what attracted you guys both, or how did you guys fall into, whatever the case may be, into uh, playing for musicals? Mm. <laughs> um, well, actually, it was for me, it was in college. I, you know, I had sort of been exposed to musical theater before that, but nah, I never really... Exposed, like, yeah. like <laughs> a stripper, streaker on the street, yeah, flashing his right. trench coat. <laughs> Tantalizing me. <laughs> no, I, I, had, uh, I certainly like, was familiar with theater, but had never participated. And then in college... Um, Good friend of mine asked me to to be a part of a show that she was music directing, and uh, sort of cascaded from there. And then I ended up after college moving out to Seattle and working a bunch. And um, for me in in Newfoundland, I had played for dozens and dozens of shows that were done locally. Uh, but when I finished my studying and I when I finished my masters, I moved to Toronto, and I I sort of just concentrated on you know, the quote, legit stuff, which is ridiculous. But yeah. that was the focus. That was the goal. Um, and I'd sort of forgotten about everything I had done beforehand until someone had mentioned, um, we were ta- having a, a talk one night about finances. And you know, as a musician and as a freelancer, it's so important to, to find out what you can. And, and in this conversation, um, I was saying, or lamenting on the fact <laughs> that, you know, Things are successful, but I'm not saving for a mortgage or you know things mm-hmm. like that. So where can I? What avenues am I not looking at? And this person had said, "Well, the music theater scene in Toronto is phenomenal. What about music theater?" And I said, "Well, does that is that does that pay?" <laughs> <laughs> and um, they had you know informed me that was as much as the opera, the symphony stuff I was doing. I'm like, well, I, "I've done that for years. I don't mm-hmm. know why I never looked into that." So the very first person mm-hmm. I asked. You know, how do I shadow? Who do I who do I ask? And she's like, well, this brand new show just came to town called Wicked because this was 2006 or five. Mm-hmm. You know, the first national tour just opened up here. You know, why don't you come down and sit mm-hmm. in the pit? So I did. Met the drummer, and then a couple of years later, I got hired to, to do the um, to do some subbing for them first, mm-hmm. uh, and that led to the to the gig. So for any like musicians out there who have thought, hey, I'd like to. In a pit. What skills do you need? How do you break in? Mm. I mean, is it what's different than mm. other stuff? I think reading, sight reading, is, is a big part of it. You got to be able to to learn the music very quickly. And there's often, especially when the tours come to town, like you've experienced this. But when Wicked would come to town, you've got one or two rehearsals uh, with the local band, mm-hmm. uh, who are you know just reading the music probably for the first time, and then you got to do the show. <laughs> so I think if you're if you're trying to break in, uh, like reading is. Top, top skill set to have. And I'd say the second thing is absolute preparedness. If you have yeah. your music in advance or yeah. <clears throat> use all the time you have, um, one, of the, one of the things, I toured for seven years with that show, and we've seen a lot of local players, and a lot are asking me the second week, you know, how, um, uh, you know I'll get this better, but it's already, <laughs> it's, it's already the second week. You know, yeah, what, yeah. what they don't understand is, and it's not personal, it's just that we do have six hours of rehearsal, and... You know, you can make mistakes. Go for it. You know, that's fine. But the arc has to be quick. It, you have to mm-hmm. be able to be prepared enough so that by the end of that six-hour rehearsal, you're just brushing up on stuff. You're not, mm-hmm. 
looking at the meat and potatoes of the part. So, uh, and in order to do that, I think any instrumentalist needs to be uh, as versed in as many styles and playing techniques as you can. So there's a preparedness on that level too, because sometimes you don't have the time right. to to get there for that six hours and nail it. But you might have an, a vast amount of experience that you can draw from. Certainly, and I think if you're playing, you know, different musicals, they're all going to draw on the entire world of, of musical influences, right? So, like Romano said, being well versed in a, in a variety of styles is is incredibly important for a pit musician. Like, you know, some shows will be asked to play. Uh, like some ragtime piano followed by <laughs> jazz solos followed by you know classic musical theater big band stuff it could all happen in the in the course of one show and so you have to be able to do it all so in percussion i, I mm-hmm. imagine reading i know a lot of musicians you know you know melodic musicians who are pretty adept at percussion i mean at sight reading yeah. but i know a lot of percussionist drummers that aren't generally mm-hmm. so is was that a different was that something you were prepared on right from the beginning? Or oh, something yeah. You had to it's develop? the same as any other instrument. And it's also melodic. You know, you have marimbas and vibes yeah. and xylophones and glocks and And that, that is important and to me. Percussion in uh, musical theater is yeah. a lot of melodic. There's a lot of melodic mm-hmm. instruments. And you have to be up in their sight reading as that, for that as well. Um, it, I mean, it's, it's particularly challenging as a drummer. I don't think it's more challenging than anybody else, but there's a more yeah. logistics in the fact that you have... A lot of plates that you're spinning that you have to maintain a nice spin that people want to see. Yeah. You know, they don't want to see a wobbling plate up there. Um, so between drum set and, and mallet instruments, and you can't get them all, but as long as you're prepping in, in one, of, one of the lakes <laughs> of knowledge, then, you know, you should be good to go. And, and at some point you have to rely on your experience. So had you been involved in actually getting on stage and jamming with the cast before in other musicals, before uh, Come hmm. From Away? I don't know, have you? I, <laughs> Not, I think I have, you know, I've been on stage, but always tucked off in a corner. Yeah. yeah. Um, and certainly never had to, like, get up off my chair and, and dance about like we do in Come From Away. Yeah. Um, but it's always fun Did to... you said dancing isn't in my contract. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> No, it's certainly, I always enjoy when the band is visible because it reminds the audience that there, yeah, there are actually live players here that are, that are entertaining you. It's not just all pre-recorded. Exactly, and I think, uh, you know, it's, there's, um, I guess, a tendency over time and in, in the history of Broadway to lessen the players and to record more, and people get used to that, and that's not okay. Um, people don't realize where it comes from and what's happening. You know, it's, there's... Um, you know, a, a good example is there's a string group that came to see Wicked in, I think it was Denver one time, and, and I happened to be putting away stuff in the pit, and they looked down and was like, oh, we're the string players. Yeah. And I'm like, we, that, that keyboard over there is the string players. Yeah. And these are all kids that are yeah. studying to be, you know, string players. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the look on their face was, was complete sadness. Yeah. You know, taking that away, that, that hope away from them, you know, it's, so it's nice when you're on the stage because people yeah. associate that sound as that, that sound as that, and um, the more versed you are in it, the more you will know when yeah. it's missing. And when we see it, it's like, and, and not to talk, not to steal from come from Waverly, mm-hmm. but I, I just saw um, Rock or School of mm-hmm. Rock for the first oh, sure. time last night. Yeah. And you know, and I didn't much care for the movie, mm-hmm. but seeing actual ten-year-olds physically yeah. on stage playing, They're amazing. They're oh, amazing, I mean, yeah. it, it got me emotional. I mean, the yeah. show is kind of silly, yeah. lightweight, and I just had a good time. But I was also really emotionally touched. Yeah, I mean, I actually cried at the yeah, moment yeah, where you yeah. said you're in the band. I don't know if you've seen the show, but yeah. no see, spoilers. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> but um, you know, 
in the movie, I don't know, you know, they, I think they said the kids actually played the movie, but it's still, you know, it's pre recorded. You know, yeah. they took the time mm-hmm. and could do comping and takes and stuff. But when mm-hmm. you actually see the musicians up on stage, I think it's just such, not just a, the visceral thing, mm-hmm. but I think there's an emotional connection mm-hmm. to the music sure. when you. I think there's an emotional connection to anything in yeah. arts. And it's funny that we're tucked away mostly because, you know, that's the design of the mixing and the element of the, how it originated. You know, you have this acoustic yeah. thing. And it was down in the pit to control the acoustics, and the, the main focus is on stage. Well, now, because of sound design and modern yeah. technologies, you don't need that anymore, but you're losing the people. You know, you're losing the connection with the people mm-hmm. that are underneath the pit. Mm-hmm. So people the, are just as amazed when they see people, you know, up, up there dancing, doing incredible things in this town, yeah. acting incredible things. But I think people will be just as viscerally engaged and, and, and interested to see musicians up on stage because... Because that's just something that's been slowly taken away. When you talk about sound engineering, I think with all the amplification, I actually think a lot of times there's still a lot of problems. Even even with a lot mm-hmm. of Broadway shows, I have a problem sometimes hearing the mm-hmm. actor's ear, mm-hmm. you know, the actor's words in yep. their quest to make the music loud. And I will say, Come From Away was incredibly well mixed. Great. Yes. But the energy fantastic. of the band and you guys being on stage, yeah, I heard fantastic. every single word, and you need to on that Great show. Great designers, yeah. Uh, but I really did notice that yeah. just beyond the musicianship that it was an exceptionally well mixed Chose so say so give props to your yes, FOH we've got, guy. We've got a great sound <laughs> team. Uh, <laughs> oh yes, yeah. Gareth Owen and Russell Goodwin just did an amazing design, and yeah. and our mixer Chris Lusman um, every night just delivers a really incredible sounding show to the audience. So we're we're glad you thought so as well. I I often think the same when I'm standing in the house. It's, yeah, and it's I didn't really think of that. And it's one of those things. It's best when it's invisible. I didn't yeah, walk out yeah, going, yeah, yeah. "Wow, that was incredibly yeah. well mixed." Yeah. Until you brought it. Yeah, that's interesting. But you, when I compared to other shows, I also yeah. I think about other shows. I'm going, I didn't walk out going, oh, mm-hmm. that was, yep. Yep. I, I had problems hearing yep. some words. And yeah. Well, you know, the, the whole modern take yeah. on sound design solves a lot of problems, but it also creates some interesting problems as well. But that's why it's so important to have a great team like we've had, have fortunately had to, to make your experience exactly what you just said. All right. Well, I hope you guys keep going. As long as your heart Woo-hoo! desires with yes. uh, Come From Away. I hope the Come From Away runs long enough that it's your choice when hey, to yes. uh, finish uh, with the show. How about yes. that? <laughs> and thanks so much for coming down. And do you have another show to head to tonight? Is yes, that's right. We've got the so evening show. Yeah. Jump over here, head over to the evening. Oh, yes. Stay busy. Yeah, it's a busy gonna, time. Run six miles before work and then... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Romano Danilo and Chris Ranny, thank you so much for thank coming down. Thank you so much for having us. And for having best us. of luck with all your endeavors. All thank right, you. Thank you. And how could I let you listeners go without hearing a song from Romano Danilo's very recently released live album, Come From The Bays?
Up close. Deborah Grace Weiner. I'm not quite sure how many hyphenates I need to say uh, everything that this wonderful woman does. She's a curator of the American Songbook and has been for nine years with the Lyrics and Lyricists series. And she's now on to other developmental things. She's a writer. She's a curator. She is an artist. Uh, she's all of these things. And to talk about her upcoming work and and I think definitely want to talk a bit about the American Songbook and her passion for that, Deborah Grace Weiner. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so, um, w how would you do? I, like I said, you have. A, you, I feel like you have a hard to define title of a career, yes. and I think that's wonderful. I'm a born hybrid. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm 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 a dramatist. I'm I'm a, I'm a theatrical. I'm a showmaker and a dramatist, uh, a playwright. Uh, and um, and along the way, I became uh, an expert on the American Songbook and musical theater. Um, and I, uh, I, it's a, I've always sort of I'm a theater trained person from from the cradle, mm -hmm. and grew up in it, uh, and uh, grew up being an apprentice in summer theater, <laughs> and uh, when they were called apprentices, not interns, and um, and uh, and I'm a, I'm a trained playwright and 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 writer and and what I'm able to do, which is just my passion and joy, and and some of us are lucky enough to be able to spring out of bed in the morning and go, I love what I do, and the great part is um, that I get to wake up and do it every day. I think a lot of us in theater feel that way, um, and um, and so I'm able to know how to do all aspects of shows. I I have straight plays that. I, that I do as one kind of my work, but also I'm able to work with music and text and do concerts and reviews that are sort of hybrid things. And I and I use my dramatist skills to uh, to shape those and to to make those great shows. And the the greatest thing for me is to be able to just live with this music, which is like being locked in the best candy store in the entire mm -hmm. world. So you got a few of these uh, kind of. Concerts coming up that you're curating and putting, do, using yeah. your dramatist skills I, to put together. Sure. An I mean, I'm an, I'm an artistic director. <laughs> yeah. I was artistic director of Lyrics and Lyricist yeah. series, a uh, very venerable uh, old New York series uh, for um, almost 50 mm -hmm. years. And I and I did 50 original shows for them and just departed upon completing I, I, my 50th. I should add here that I'm assuming that you mean that Lyrics and Lyricist has been around for 50 years, yes, not, not you with it. Definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely say, none. It's a, it's a podcast, so you, you have, there's, no, there's no visuals. No, yeah. but uh, yes, I did. <laughs> they've been around for 50 years. Um, it was kind of New York legend, and yeah. so nine seasons ago, uh, uh, about 10 years ago, when I was asked to take over this series as artistic director and sort of retool it and rejuvenate it and bring it back to glory, um, I, I jumped in with both feet. And it was a, a wonderful, wonderful ride. I enjoyed every moment of it. Mm -hmm. And I did those things. And I was thrilled to be able to sort of bring it back to, to acclaim, mm -hmm. critical and audience acclaim. Uh, and, um, and now I'm doing other things. Uh, but I have a concert. Uh, I have a concert coming up uh, that we're just creating. Uh, that's uh, all Gershwin, and uh, I'm I'm creating that with two of my favorite collaborators: uh, the music director John Otto, who was Rosemary Clooney's music director, uh, and uh, the stage director Mark Waldrop, who of course <laughs> is Mark Waldrop. And we've done many shows together, uh, and uh, it's I love going into the playpen with those guys. Uh, and we have an all-star cast. We have Christina Andreas and Clea Blackhurst and okay. George Dvorsky and Nicholas King 
and an all-star band, including <laughs> Jay Lenhart uh, on the bass, who sings as well. And, um, and we've had a blast. So what, when you're putting together these shows and, and you know, excuse, what are you looking for? How are you, because there's a lot of these things going on in New York. We're a cultured city and, uh, um, and collections. Of, yeah, so yeah, to, just kidding. to a certain segment. I, I'm kidding. It's a joke. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm a native New Yorker, so <laughs> to me, the sun rises and sets with New York. Yeah. So what do you do to set, or I, I, what mistakes that you see others do, do you look to correct in your own without naming names or being, but. Well, sure. I mean, I, I mean the way I look at it is uh, I'm privileged to know a lot of songs and know a lot of, of Broadway shows and show tunes and and I my specialty is the classic repertory. I love I love new theater music and I avidly go to the theater, but my particular niche is the is the what we now call the Great American Songbook. It's never had a a great name for it. Everybody's always been kind of <laughs> sort of rooting around to find the perfect name for it. You can call it pop standards, you yeah. can call it whatever, but but the music there's a body of work that was really mainly between 1920 and I'd say the middle of the 1960s before rock and roll took over. Yeah. And that's, it, that category is what all the great standard songs fall into and, um, and the great uh, classic Broadway shows. Um, and uh, so I love to, uh, you know, when you say, well, what are the mistakes or whatever, yeah. I, I sort of look at it fresh. I, I sort of don't look at what other people do. But to me, the secret of it is, A, these things are not nostalgia. I, I think that for for a segment of, mm -hmm. of people who, who grew up uh, in an earlier time, and that was the music mm -hmm. of perhaps their youth, then they may feel nostalgic listening to it. And for them, uh, that might be so. But I'm from a generation that grew up with rock and roll as, yeah. the, as the mass music, as many people are. And I came to this, I was always drawn to this. Uh, as a kid, I was listening to Ella Fitzgerald and Nat Cole and Peggy Lee and Billie Holiday and, and Rosemary Clooney and, and all those, and Sinatra, of yeah. course, and all those great singers. And so it's about taking the idea that these are vibrant, fresh, wonderful works and uh, and they are timeless. And so the idea is how can you just, it's not hard, yeah. you know, how can you just get the best performers who really understand the material uh, and the best musicians and create fantastic shows that are fresh? And, I, and I've had very, very good luck. I've been very blessed in that um, I have the best collaborators in the world. I mean, just I get to pick up the phone and I get to, to work with Kathleen Marshall and say, hey, girl, let's create some new kind of show, you know, what's because she's just as passionate about it as yeah. I am. And, and, you know, what 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 can we dream? You know, what 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 would entertain people? What would move people um, or, you know, or many, many other, you know, or Rob Fisher yeah. or, you know, any of those uh, wonderful creative uh, directors and music directors and then have our pick of of the finest uh, cast on Broadway or, or in jazz cabaret because we're, we all do this for the passion of it. And we all get how lucky we are. So where do you get your ideas for your shows? Or how do you put together these, you know, these, the topics for the shows and then select the shows? What, well, what, what influences your decisions some, there? Sometimes mm -hmm. you sort of, you, you think what's been overdone? You know, what, 
you know what? God help us. Can we just not hear one more note of because it's been done so many times? Um, or sometimes that's a challenge. Sometimes you go, you know, well, I mean, like a Gershwin show, uh, uh, the venue, which is uh, the Schimmel Center, uh, had had wanted a Gershwin show. And we talked about that. And then the challenge becomes, well, Gershwin, who is George and I are Gershwin's song, you could argue are um, certainly among the greatest that America has ever produced. And the interesting thing is they're everywhere. You turn on the TV, they're on TV commercials, they're on movie soundtracks, they're, you know, Lady Gaga's recording yeah. them, whatever. So much so that perhaps some of us have stopped listening closely. Yeah. So because they're, they're, they're ubiquitous. I think, they're, I think there actually was a scientific study that they found in the genome mapping that they actually are in our DNA. <laughs> um, but, um, and then the yeah. challenge becomes, hey, well, how do you do a Gershwin show and make it really interesting because people are taking it for granted. How do we make people listen to these songs differently? You know, you get great performers. So as a creative, what is your thought process? What, do, what, what, was, what were some of your brainstorms as you were thinking? What were some of the things you threw away as you were, um, uh, the ideas that you threw out? Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think. I, uh, I got together with my collaborators, John Otto and Mark Waldrop, and we thought, well, what, what, what are the Gershwin songs that are the greatest Gershwin songs. Uh, we, we didn't specifically mm. go for, let's find all the obscure material we can. Sometimes you mm. might want to do a show like that. The interesting thing about doing a show of all obscure material is it works great for a very inside audience. Mm -hmm. uh, for regular audiences, people, people's brains may want to hear that, yeah. but their hearts very often will really miss you know, but not for me, or yeah. but you know, or or some some of summertime. the other great songs, or <laughs> yeah. summertime, or yeah. um, you know, let's call the whole thing off. And so you 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 have a kind of a um, a psychic obligation to I think give people uh, those songs, and also because they are great songs. So if you have Christine Andreas singing um, "The Man I Love." Which is an old torch song, really in a in a kind of uh, Helen Morgan style, very old fashioned. Mm -hmm. um, we were talking about it yesterday at rehearsal. You sing the man. Someday he'll come along, the man I love, and he'll be big and strong. The man I love. <laughs> that is so not part of our zeitgeist today. But um, but it's a great song, and um, and if you have a great singer like Christine doing that, you find depths to that 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 transcend time. And um, so it's a it's a combination to get to pick things. You pick what are the songs that that the show can't be without. What are some really interesting obscurities uh, like um, uh, Clea Blackhurst? I said so. What Clea Blackhurst is the Merlin yeah. girl. Yeah, and, and she's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I I think I interviewed her and and saw her on on the program. For if anybody's looking for more information there, they can dig back and find her. But I know she's a great. Oh, yeah. Cleo Blackers is a great performer, uh, completely unique, and she was born to do anything that Ethel Merman yeah. ever did. And she's also incredibly intellectually uh, one of the great Ethel Merman experts. Uh, she's done a couple of Ethel Merman show, different Ethel Merman shows and, and recordings. And so I said to Cleo, What's a, what do you got that's, that's really interesting, really obscure? Because, of course, the Gershwins had a relationship with Ethel Merman. Uh, going back to Girl Crazy in 1930. So Clea came uh, across, and so she says, I do a great song. I do a great song called Sam and Delilah. <laughs> and it was, it was, Ethel Merman was hired to be in Girl Crazy. 
And uh, the star of Girl Crazy was really Ginger Rogers, but Ethel Roman stopped the show the first night. And this weird song, not that it's weird, weird, but it's very much of, a, of an oddity, this uh, novelty song called Sam and Delilah, uh, was the first time a Broadway audience ever heard Ethel Merman. It was the first thing out of her mouth that the world, that the Broadway world ever heard from Merman, uh, was this song. And so th the great thing about doing these kinds of shows is that it's part historical digging, mm -hmm. it's part uh, great musicianship, uh, and together, you know, we all work on the arrangements, like what's the, what's the way we want to do this song? What's a, what's, there, there's always many choices um, in how you choose to do a song. Um, do you want to do you want to make it groovy like Fever, you know, yeah. and give it a bass walking bass, you know, a bass beginning or something, or do you want to do you want to do it as a ballad? Do you want whatever? And so the, there are infinite infinite tools in the toolkit uh, to work with anything. And the trick is that at the end of the day, you want to make it look like you didn't spend any effort on it at all. You know, you just want to make a, a review that flows that the audience, and you take the audience on a journey, musically and narratively, and, uh, and I'm, a, as a dramatist and a writer, uh, very often, uh, if it's my own show like this, I will, I will host it uh, and write the script for it as well. So you're telling them a story as well as, as taking them on a musical journey. Well, fantastic. Uh, Deborah Grace Weiner, so good to have you on the show. Thank you for Best having me. Best of luck in your endeavors. Thank you for all your work in uh, cultivating and maintaining and exposing the American Songbook to new generations and, and, and generations that may listen to nostalgia, even though it's not but nostalgia. nostalgia you, you, said the, you said the nostalgia word. No, I, it's, a, yeah. it's a total joy yeah. uh, doing, doing what I do, and thank you. It's been so much fun talking yeah. to you. Thank you for having me. All right. Good luck. Thank you. Up close. Bill Solly, according to a former interviewee, is the most prolific, least known songwriter in New York City. <laughs> uh, Ellie from Mel and L, who we interviewed uh, many moons ago, said that I absolutely needed to talk to this fascinating man. He has uh, written some groundbreaking musicals, Boy Meets Boy, is that right? Right. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and uh, the Great American... Backstage Musical. The Great American Backstage Musical. Right. In the UK, he's worked with singers like Petula Clark um, and others. Dusty Springfield, I think, was in that list. Right, yeah. And, uh, and he is... Uh, uh, do you want, mind me saying your age? I'm 86. 86. Yes. And Sheriff's Attack and still writing. <laughs> yes. Putting out CDs. And he's here to talk with us about uh, about his work and his fascinating life. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, Bill Solly, if I didn't say the name. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, tell us a little bit about um, <laughs> everything you're doing as a, as a writer. Well, I'm, I write musicals. Right. I've been writing musicals all my life. In fact, um, I had, had a job once at the Steel Company in Canada, and uh, they found out that I wrote musicals. And so I'm friend of mine, years later, looked in the, um, the uh, personnel file and found, do not rehire, wants to write musicals. <laughs> so I decided that's the title of my autobiography. <laughs> and, uh, but I've been doing that ever since I first saw a musical, which was Oklahoma, and which came to Canada, and Hamilton in Canada, in uh, 
oh, I don't know, 1940-something or other, and uh, it was such a big hit, it even played Hamilton. You probably never heard of Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. It's near Toronto. And I'm a Canadian. Okay. And, uh, That's okay. And so It's all right. We'll still... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just back in Canada. Canada's very popular right now. Yes. Especially with that person in the White House. Yes, I've, I've investigated <laughs> what it would take to go. We won't talk about <laughs> that. That's not important. But anyway, um, so I've been writing musicals most of my life, and uh, uh, eventually I got one on in London when I moved there in uh, 1955. I moved to London and England. And you know, when when the when I know that you write some queer theme stuff like Boy Meets Boy, when you say I got one on in London, my mind is going. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> in I, different directions. Well, I, I, after I graduated from university, um, I, I wanted to go to New York, but yeah. a friend of mine had gone there and found out you got drafted and sent to Korea after six months. Mm -hmm. So I thought I didn't want to do that. So I went to London instead. <laughs> And I had a great time for three years, and I got a musical on called Sweet William, and which I wrote. I wrote book, music, and lyrics. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody had ever seen that credit before in, in the States, but I saw it when I first got to London. Sandy Wilson had it when she was the boyfriend. Book, music, and lyrics by Sandy Wilson. So I thought, well, I can do that. I'd never even heard of that credit, but that was it. And I got the show on, and it was about people like myself, Canadians, people from the Commonwealth living in London and living in a boarding house in Chelsea. And uh, it was basically that story, and I directed it, and I even was in it, unfortunately. I had to take over mm. one of the parts after the cast mutiny and said, get rid of that actor. And <laughs> I said, well, who can I get instead? You can do it, they said. So I ended up being in it. And then I went home to Canada after that and got into a show there for a year. It was a big hit called My Fur Lady, my Fur Lady? My Fur Lady, okay. yes. <laughs> it was a huge, very satirical, very witty show that had started at McGill University. And it, it ran for a whole year. We, we went to every province in Canada, except Newfoundland. And uh, it was an enormous hit. It was really wonderful. And I had a major role in it. I never planned to be an actor, but I ended up getting cast as an actor. And uh, it was always a surprise to me. Later on, I was cast in a video, and another show, and it was just accidental. I didn't even audition. It was really weird. But, you know, what I mainly wanted to do was write, and went on doing that. And uh, it took a while to get things on. And I went back to London after a year or two at uh, University of British Columbia, and, and then I got on, I started writing songs for a lot of cabaret performers, mainly. And... Uh, especially a song I wrote called I Could Fall In Love, which was, a, a, was written for another musical. And a singer I knew heard it and wanted to do it. And uh, she put it in her act. And it used to stop the show every night. It was great. And uh, I've got a recording of it by um, Tova Feldshu okay. over there, which we could play later yeah. on if you like. Or is this, is this something you wrote? Yes, 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 it's a song I could follow. Well, why don't we play it right now? Well, okay, I'll have to go dig it out. Oh, no, you don't have to dig it out. With magic of editing, oh, we'll okay. insert it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's, um, it, it's I could fall in love with a fabulous American who's the idol of every working girl and every debutante, but I can't because I want to fall in love with you. It goes on like that. It goes through all the different nationalities and things. And it's been quite popular. It got me noticed anyway. And I ended up writing for a lot of big stars in England. Yeah. All right, let's play it. Let's hear it. I could fall in love with the most distinct. 
distinguished Englishman who's the idol of every working girl and every debutante. Pleasure having you up here in the Dramatist Guild Foundation. Well, thank you, Mike. I really room. enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again. Maybe yeah. share some more of those stories as you yeah. as you put together your memoir. Great. And you've got my email address, and you can look at my website, and there's all kinds of quotes and stuff there, and information about me. If, you, and what, if I what left is the, anything out. And what's the website for our listeners? Uh, BillSolly.com. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, Michael. Okay. 
As always, we have the unedited interviews with all these people up, and we talk more Bill Solly, and he gets more into detail about his Boy Meets Boy musical, and talks about this song. We're going to play you one more song from him, and this is the opening number from Boy Meets Boy. Boy Meets Boy tonight, vines with joy tonight. The perfect mate that fate cannot destroy tonight Back when gentlemen were gentle Just the thing to make you sentimental Night and day again Love is gay again And though our story's just that old cliche again What a beautiful blend Boy meets boy Boy loses boy, but boy gets boy in the end. Boy meets boy tonight, finds with joy tonight. That fate cannot destroy tonight Back when gentlemen were gentle Just the thing to make you sentimental Night and day again Love is gay again And though our story's just that old cliche again What a beautiful blend Boy meets boy Cabaret Corner. I have the pleasure of speaking with Isaac Sutton, an international performer, Israeli cabaret artist, and musical theater actor. Uh, he's performed in Brazil, uh, Israel, USA, Canada, all over the place. And we managed to catch him. He's based out of Israel, and he is here in New York City and managed to catch him on my stay. Welcome, Isaac Sutton. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Shalom. <laughs> <laughs> Shalom. I'm glad it worked out that you were able to come in. I know that uh, at first we didn't think you were going to be able to get in because you're leaving. For... In just a few hours, I have to catch a flight and <laughs> go back to Israel. So, so tell us a little bit about, uh, about yourself and your career. I know you've got a CD out. Uh, I do. I do. I mean, over the last 10 years, I have been bringing the Great American Songbook to Israelis with my one-man shows. And uh, very fortunate to do that. And I've also done, you know, theater work, mostly musical theater. I love Broadway. Um, so in Israel, you know, I got to do some musical theater work, which I'm very proud of. So how big is the kind of like the, the cabaret scene or the more kind of l musical theater legit concert scene? In Israel? There? Yeah. Over there? Um, I would say that it's growing. I mean, it's clearly not what it is here in, you know, New York City, but... Um, it's a niche, but I'm very happy to, you know, kind of own that niche, yeah. you know, because that's what I've been doing. That's what I'm known for. Um, so doing my one-man shows over there over the last decade has been incredible. 
Well, yeah, well, finding a niche is, is often the best way to yes. m make a career and a sustainable career. So, <laughs> Yeah, uh, as long as I can keep doing what I love, I mean, I'll do that. But I don't know if you know this, but I graduated actually with an MBA. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, before that. And then I did the switch. You know, I s said to myself, you know, Isaac, you have to, you know, follow your heart and try to see if this, this works out. And it but did. I imagine so. that business... Uh, sense has helped you out. Oh, I actually founded a program at the University of Providence, theater and business arts. Yeah. With the, and it's not a theater, some people think theater administration, it's, it's not. It's learn the art of being an artist, but learn that you are an entrepreneur and you've got to treat your career as a business. Absolutely. And, That's what I do. I have my office, you know, based in Tel Aviv and I'm in charge of the marketing as well. And uh, being independent, it works for me. I mean, yeah. It doesn't work for everyone, but I, I love, you know, being able to control my own schedule and my shows and yeah. So, so one thing too, I was really surprised walking in, <laughs> seeing you, something about the name Isaac Sutton, Israeli, you know, uh, cabaret artist. I was kind of expecting to, you know, meet like a 60 year old dapper gentleman. Right. And, I get that a and, lot. And you're quite young, robust, uh, <laughs> handsome, uh, Thank casual, you. Thank you. you know, uh, um, does yeah. that, do you, you said you get that a lot. Is, I do get that a lot. I guess I was born... Do you play that image-wise? Your... Well, I, I just think that I was born in the wrong era. <laughs> Either that or born with a 60-year-old soul because mm -hmm. I was always attracted to the Great American Songbook, you know, songs that um, come from a character and tell a story. Uh, it seems like today it's more about, you know, having the beat and that, you, you know, you get hit songs and it's great. But if, you, if it's not about really telling a story for me, then I'm, it doesn't interest me as much. So, yeah, I've always been drawn to that kind of material. So. so what kind of organization, with all the countries you've traveled in, I imagine, I don't know, with performance visas or, you know, passports, whatever, I imagine it takes a lot of um, initial kind of work to make sure you got all your ducks in order. Uh, yes, that, that's absolutely true. And actually, the traveling part is, is the part that I hate most about you know, this business because, I don't know, with, as years go by, I don't enjoy you know, the travel aspect of it all. <laughs> you know, the flying, yeah. I, I don't really like flying so much. As and, a singer, I would imagine, too, when you've got these long... Oh, my gosh. You know, and, a transoceanic flight on your voice. And the right? voice factor. You know, I used to do a lot... Um, to book shows, you know, right after I would land. Mm -hmm. I don't do that anymore because it's so fragile, the voice. And yeah. I really do try to protect it. You know, I, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs. I hardly have any dairy products. I don't speak in between shows because um, it's really all, yeah. all about the voice. So, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> what's your favorite venue that you performed in? Oh, my gosh. I just did a concert for the very first time at Feinstein's 54 Below here okay. in New York City. This yeah. was, I tell you, a dream come true. I mean, this has been the place that I, you know, as a singer-actor would go to get inspired, to get inspiration, basically. Mm -hmm. So I've seen my all-time favorite, you know, Broadway performers do their thing at Feinstein's. So to be able to, you know, bring my show to that venue was coming full circle, and I was so, so emotional that night. <laughs> Yeah, it was a dream come true. Do you perform with just an accompanist, or do you have a full band? I have or? a band, okay. and actually for this show, I had a very special guest, a Broadway star. Her name is Carrie St. Louis. She recently did Glinda in Wicked and also Rock of Ages. Um, so we did some duets, and she was lovely. And hopefully I'll bring her to Israel to do some shows. So wow. That could be fun.
So you're in charge of your own business. Yeah. Um, how do you uh, find, how do you audition? How do you find your band members? And <laughs> Well, you know what? I, my, the people that I play with, I mean, they, they go way, way, way back with me because, you know, once you find, you know, you have the good chemistry with the musicians, you, you want to keep them, you know? And, and the people that I've worked with here are unbelievable. I mean, my musical director here, his name is Dan Pardo. I recently saw him conducting the musical company in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. I drove three and a half hours to Pittsfield for two reasons. First, he was conducting the show, and he's my musical director here in New York. But also, I did uh, play the role of Bobby, the lead role in company in Israel, the Israel production. So again, coming full circle, and uh, I'm very lucky to have him. And... Uh... So how do you make the jump? I think there's a lot of cabaret singers, especially in New York. It seems to me that there's there's a, because it's such a niche genre anymore, that there's a big gap for singers to jump between kind of putting on their own one or two night showcase in a small little Mm -hmm. joint to being able to do a big gig like Feinstein's. I don't know if I've seen, and when I talk to people, a lot of people, I, I don't see a middle, you know, like the jumping point where you move up to this kind of middle venue and on the top, it's like it seems at some point you got to kind of take a leap of faith and right. spend some money and make the jump. How do you, what's your advice for people trying to cross that? I mean, the competi- competition is yeah. crazy, especially here in New York yeah. City. Um, but I would have to say just focus on what makes you unique. Uh, I actually spoke to my publicist about this. I mean, what makes you stand out? Um, what can you bring that maybe somebody else has never done before? So for me, I was trying to, first of all, combine languages. I, I sing in English, Hebrew, French, and Italian. Um, so we were trying to combine, you know, a lot of those languages into the program. Um, and, you know, just tell, tell your own stories. I mean, bring who you are to the stage, and hopefully audiences will, will like that. <laughs> so what are your, some of your upcoming events that are... That are on the horizon for you. So actually, this coming Saturday is our opening night at the National Theater in Israel. Very excited about that. Um, And then after that, I'm going to tour the country, tour Israel, and uh, hopefully come back here. How many spots? How many like how many engagements is a national tour of Israel? So Israel, (laughs) I don't know if you know this. It's actually smaller than New Jersey (laughs) size wise. So it's not a big country. So you can actually drive. So you could easily drive, you know, to the venue and then come back home and sleep in your own bed, which (laughs) is great, you know? I love that. Um, So let's say, you know, we have clearly Tel Aviv, that's the biggest theater scene, I would say. But we have Jerusalem, of course, the Jerusalem Theater. We have the North, uh, Haifa. um, And basically every city would have its own community theater, I would say. so, yeah, just, you know, touring all those wonderful theater spaces. And, um, you know, some places are more of a auditorium style venue, I would say, rather than a cabaret setting. So mm-hmm. it's, people don't sit around a table necessarily. They, it's like a frontal experience, whereas, you know, you just sit at a um, concert venue, an auditorium. Do you use the Internet much in terms of, all right, well, I wish you luck on your national tour and all your other future international engagements and thank bringing, you so much bringing your your culture and a unique experience and 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 the american songbook to uh, new audiences 
Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thanks. Great pleasure. Yay. Fantastic. Thank you. Before I let you go, I want you to be able to hear a performance from Isaac Sutton. Uh, he doesn't have an official CD out, but he does have music stuff posted on his website. Uh, the titles are all in Hebrew, and I do not read Hebrew. I am a bad, bad theater person, so I'm not sure what the title is, but it is a very entertaining performance. Here is Isaac Sutton with guests. <laughs>
And that's all we've got for today. If you are new to Broadway Bullet, uh, you may not know that we put up all the unedited interviews on uh, SoundCloud. They have been in our feed so far, but the feed's getting pretty crowded. So I think what I'm going to do is uh, the week the episode comes out, I will have the unedited interviews briefly in the feed to grab them easily. After that, to not clutter the feed, you can go to broadwaybullet.com, search for this episode, 813, and you can find... uh, all the songs on SoundCloud, all the interviews on SoundCloud, unedited. All right. I hope that's clear. And watch out next week. I'm going to put out volume 814. I'm going to try to just put these all out one week at a time. And, and the seasons will be tighter, but maybe I get in the habit of doing them when I've got it. It's always hard with like two and a half weeks when I've got a job. Um, but we've got interviews with Broadway General Manager, the buyer for the Drama Bookshop, Prospect Theater Company, uh, Ralph Lewis, who puts on with Andrew Burris on site-specific locations, and more from Seth Sklar Hine, uh, head of Cameron Macintosh North America. So if you are interested in kind of producing, this episode is going to be a wealth of information. All right, until then, thanks for spending time with us. Again, uh, share this, tell your friends about it. If you're listening on SoundCloud, hit the like button, subscribe, and uh, we will see you soon. Thank you. I'm Michael Gilbo, your host for Broadway Bullet. Thank you.